Welcome to the Comparing Notes podcast. My name is Glenn Schreiber, and I'm alongside my co-host Andy and Ryan. We are three ordinary pastors from three different generations comparing notes about life and ministry, and we're glad you're with us today. At the beginning of each podcast, we like to illustrate our differing generational perspectives by answering a simple question, though this might not be quite so simple. So uh, pay attention as I ask it to you men. Uh, what, where were you when event defines your generation? What's that event that was so significant that those in your generation can remember where they were when it took place? Give you a few moments to think about that. I'll throw out three that came quickly to my mind and take me right back to the 60s. Uh, again, 60s in Nebraska, rural America. Uh, the first one that comes to my mind was uh, the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Uh, it was uh, fourth grade, November 22nd, 1963. Uh, I was in the classroom and heard the news and the reaction of the teachers and the adults in the room in particular were uh, uh, obviously got my attention. I knew something mm. very significant was up. And uh, so that was the first one. The second one actually happened... Uh, uh, a few months later, uh, Beatlemania, the Beatles hit the Ed Sullivan show on February 9th, 1964. <laughs> Again, fourth grade, but here is in the living room, jumping up and down on the sofa, just going crazy with, uh, with most of America at that time. That was the conversation uh, all around the classroom in the neighborhood at the time. And then the third, uh, age 15, I was in the Sahara Lounge slash bowling alley, Columbus, Nebraska, July 20th, 1969, no surprise to you guys, the moon landing. And uh, obviously that was very significant to uh, my generation. So those are three that quickly came to my mind as I was thinking others did come as well. But let's hear from you. Uh, let's go to, uh, to Andy. Well, that second one provides a great segue um, to what you were talking about with the moon landing, because probably the one that comes to mind for me was uh, in the mid-80s with the Challenger explosion. I remember sitting uh, first period science class. We didn't have a TV, but that was the obviously the one with Sally Ride. So uh, there was a big link to education. There was big discussion about what was going to happen in the future days. And uh, and then finding out that uh, the, the launch hadn't gone so well. Um, I even remember, uh, as some middle schoolers would be prone to do, making some pretty bad jokes um, coming right after that. And, uh, and so it was, uh, th that was definitely a, a memorable moment. Uh, I think a second one was the, uh, the collapse of the twin towers. Uh, it was definitely many years later, but I was married at that point in seminary. And, uh, I just kind of remember the shift in the immediate shift in life and mood throughout everybody. Um, and, uh, just even going into to school that day and, sitting in chapel and everybody's just trying to process what happened, what does this mean, where do we go from here, um, and obviously it was a, a generationally shifting, um, politically shifting event. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Ryan, I'm curious about where your mind goes with this question. I only have one that I can really think of, uh, and that is 9-11. Um, it, it, that is definitely the, the, the only kind of where was I moment, um, sitting in school and even uh, one of the things that stood out was at the school I was attending at the time, there were two students that parents who actually were were scheduled to visit the trade towers that morning. 
So when, as all the TVs were dragged into the rooms and people started watching, those students then quickly got up and started calling parents and both of their fathers who were supposed to be in there um, weren't in the buildings yet. But that's really the first where was I um, and kind of main one in, in my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obvious thought you would go there. The title I would give this podcast is Limp Worthy. Uh, gentlemen, let's just keep reflecting uh, on uh, times gone by. Uh, I was helped in this. A year ago, I was invited to do an exercise by that same title. Uh, I was asked to reflect on some of my most difficult days in life. Consider how it was during those times. And though I may have come away limping, metaphorically speaking, uh, that actually uh, those events actually made me worthier to carry on the roles of husband, father, friend, and pastor that I find so precious today. Uh, so think back some of the more challenging times that you've had and, uh, and consider how did those times shape who you are today? Um, my mind went back actually to the to those 60s again actually i find myself in the 6th grade and i and i say it was uh, during the 6th grade that i stopped liking myself as we've already mentioned uh, there was a, a box that came into my house a couple of years before then that i got to watch the beatles on called the television set and in rural nebraska um, seeing the world outside rural nebraska for the first time i was liking those people in those places a lot more than i liked myself and so that's when i remember uh, uh, not uh, just probably the first time I've ever just really sensed a, a time of depression and uh, learned just how desperate I was for the approval of others, um, so much so that I created a fantasy world and even voiced some of those. So uh, that self-exposure, uh, I go back to a lot and just reminding myself uh, just how desperate I can be if, uh, for uh, for that approval. Um Gentlemen, anything come to your mind is when you go back and just uh, those challenging times and how they've how they've re shaped who you are. Well, I mean, I think if I go back um, very early, uh, you know, I also grew up as a Midwestern kid and uh, felt pretty comfortable with who I was, where I came from. And then between my eighth and ninth grade year, we moved from uh, the middle of, of Kansas, Midwest, and moved to California. And uh, that, that was a pretty radical shift, you know, no matter how cool you thought you were. And I really wasn't that cool of a kid to begin with. But no matter how cool you thought you were, when you went into California, you definitely, as a Midwestern kid, were not cool. Um, and entering into high school, I think just for a long time trying to figure out who I was. I think you do that anyway, as you're in the midst of high school, trying to find the tribe that you are with, trying to figure out who you are. Um, and, uh, but that was culture shock, um, combined with just adolescence. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan, where does your mind go initially on this? Well, I, with being the youngest of the three of us, I think some of this stuff I'm still working through. Um, I definitely growing up, I didn't have any major moves in my, um, in my upbringing. I, I, I stayed in the same town, same house since I was a child. I definitely can see looking back how. I, um, I grew up in some sense with a chip on my shoulder of wanting to be a different kid, wanting to, to grow up in a different side of Nashville, wanting to grow up with different, um, uh, uh, 
not home life because I appreciated my home life, but just have having a different makeup of things. And I have since uh, grown to appreciate just the struggle and um, even some of the hard work that my parents had to put in when I was younger and see them as, as just them reap the benefits of that work now. So there were definitely times when I, I struggled with a comparison bug and envy saying, I wish I could have that lifestyle, that upbringing, those vacations, those homes, what, what have you. And, um, and I am looking back on it and saying, wow, I'm thankful for the struggles that I have had, um, even as a child. But as I said, in some sense, uh, being mid thirties, I'm in that stage of life where I'm kind of looking back and evaluating, okay, who was I and where am I going? Um, and trying to uh, work through some of those things. Yeah, I know what you mean, because uh, I didn't appreciate uh, what I had gained through these challenging times until I was uh, brought to this exercise. Uh, I remember in high school, two things happened. My father died in my junior year. And what I certainly didn't notice at the time, but do now and I'm ashamed of it, was just how totally self-absorbed and selfish I was. Mm. I distinctly remember my first two thoughts upon hearing of my dad's death. And it was a, it was, he, he died of cancer. It took over a period of two years. So it wasn't a, a surprise per se. But my first thoughts were, hey, I'm going to get some great attention from girls. And my mm. second was, hey, I'm going to get the family car because my mom doesn't drive and I'm the only driver in, in the household. Uh, just uh, so ashamed when I think of that now, but that's good for me to be reminded of how, how self-absorbed and selfish we can be uh, as humans and, that's, uh, and how ugly that is. Also, my uh, senior year in high school is really when my dreams died. And, uh, and I learned how empty life is or can be, quote unquote, under the sun, like the book of Ecclesiastes says. Um, I really had, had, uh, had a, an idea of what I wanted to become and was on that path for those years in high school until, uh, until an event took place and told me that's not going to happen. And, uh, but it was at that point, uh, looking back, that allowed me to get to a point where I surrendered my life to Christ uh, and, uh, and actually decided to seek his will rather than mine because uh, he could definitely do a lot better job at, at that than I was. So those are two other events that came to my mind early on. Uh, Andy, where else does your mind go? Well, I, I think probably one that is formulative, especially when we start thinking about ministry uh, life, is uh, I had in high school decided that uh, kind of had shifted my focus from where I was going to go. I was planning on Air Force going into the, had a, actually an opportunity to get into the Air Force Academy had made a shift that I was not going to do that, but going to go into ministry. But that also kind of, I had defined a path of what that was going to look like. And it was going to be going into school, going into seminary, uh, ministering at the church that I had kind of grown up, grown up in. And some of those things started to come true. I, I went, um, got married uh, in college and, uh, and then took a little bit longer than I thought to go through college, but got into seminary. And my first year in seminary ended up as an intern and uh, the the church that I grew up in and just thought, man, this is going to be, you know, exactly where I'm going to go. And a year into that internship, I was basically told that uh, my internship was over, uh, which meant that my development path that I figured that I was going to, you know, have the rose pinned on me, that everything was going to be just perfect. All of that ended. And, uh, and so not only did we have to kind of figure out what was next, but had to figure out where we were going to go to church and what that was going to look like. And uh, that that was deeply painful um, because it 
basically shook up my entire plan. And, uh, and, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about as we get through here, how those develop us. But, um, it, it was, it was probably one of, at that time, probably the most painful memory that I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh Ryan, before I go back to a couple others that, that hit my list, did you have anything else that came to your mind? I did. It's kind of around the same thing that Andy was talking about. It, it has to deal with the time when I was heading off to seminary. Um, I'm a planner by nature. I like to figure out uh, kind of what's coming and how to, f- and how to pick the best path forward. And when my wife and I were deciding when to go to seminary, we had, um, we had all of these ways of here's how we're going to save, save so much money and go in and we're going to have this idealistic life in seminary and we're going to study and it's going to be on the West coast. So we're going to travel. We're going to have this great time. We're going to be, you know, this, this fun, loving, energetic seminary couple. And I, I decided to go to seminary a year earlier than kind of my initial plan. And then, um, two months later, uh, found out that my wife was pregnant with her first child and just in the timeline was looking at, okay, we're going to, uh, move on the, to the other side of the country. We're going to start seminary and my wife is going to have a child within like days of starting classes. And it was one of these moments. I, I, it's kind of the first time when, um, my plan didn't work, if you will. And I was kind of forced, uh, to grow up really quickly. And, uh, I distinctly recall walking down the street after visiting the seminary for a trip and just going like, how's this going to work out? And I don't know how I'm going to get a job and how we're going to pay the bills and how I'm going to go to the class and how we're, all the stuff that goes into that. And, and, um, a mentor of mine at the time looked at me and, uh, and asked me the, the, the best question he could ask me he goes, uh, and, and super convicting, just kind of nailed my feet to the floor and said, wow, you want to be a pastor, but you're not really trusting the Lord with the basic needs of your life. And I mean, it shook me because I was like, yeah, I'm trying to figure all this out and um, ended up realizing that, no, what I need to do is step out in faith and say, we're going to seminary. And clearly, clearly the Lord is calling us there and we'll figure it out. And sure enough, showed up and 10 days before I started class, we had my first daughter, Noel, and my wife was at home and I was working full-time job and a full-time seminary and barely sleeping and, you know, away from family and, and just the, the struggles that every seminarian goes through. And, and, and yet I'm so grateful for it, not because it was easy, because it was not, and I wouldn't want to live through seminary again, but because of what the Lord taught me and just trusting him. Uh, that, that story takes me right to my next one that I have listed here. And it was my first preaching class. And uh, this is where I learned how, uh, uh, how a performance-based lifestyle is a no-win. Uh, I wanted to be the great preacher. I mean, early, as a young Christian, you know, those were the the uh, the pastors that you knew. Those were the pastors that were esteemed. Were those that were the great teachers and preachers? Uh, wanted to be that person, um, but just the the fear of public speaking in general, and uh, and just wanting seeking the approval of others, still and trying to work that out in my life. Uh, hit that preaching class, just did horribly. I can still see the professor sitting in the back, just shaking his head, writing notes. Uh, I remember uh, leaving the classroom, walking the streets of Chicago and just crying and pleading with God. Uh, you called me here. I believe you want me in the ministry, but uh, uh, what does that look like with me and what you've got here? And uh, uh, boy, that, that, that particular conversation uh, helped to uh, take me uh, places that I really needed to get to, to uh, do just exactly what you're saying. Just again, to lay myself down and to pick up whatever it is that he would want for me, uh, rather than try to dress it up in the way I think it was supposed to be. Uh, Andy, something else? 
Well, I mean, mine comes probably a little bit further into ministry. Um, I'd come to the church that I'm pastoring. Uh, I had been here about uh, five or six years, and uh, it, it had definitely been a, a rocky uh, few years just trying to get leadership on the same page, trying to be um, a young leader, you know, taking a lead pastor role at uh, mid early 30s uh, and not really knowing what you don't know and trying to figure out who you are as a leader um, and pastoring. And uh, basically at, uh, at that juncture, we had had a, a tornado that had come through and it had ripped apart part of our area. And uh, that didn't cause the difficulty, but it just uh, exacerbated the, the issues and the rifts and the difficulties that were already there. And so uh, it became pretty much a crisis of ministry and a crisis of life for me. Um, I, I remember thinking, you know, do I need to be uh, in ministry? Do I need to be in um, this church? Do I need to even be alive? And uh, it was a it was a pretty pivotal moment and struggle to try to think through all of those those things. I even I don't even even know if you remember this, Glenn, but I remember texting you at one point at a low point, looking at my own self, seeing my own failures, and saying. Is all of life a, a mea copa? Because I felt like all the time I was, you know, looking at myself and seeing difficulties and seeing uh, failures that I'd had. And uh, you kind of just te- texted me back and said, yeah, pretty much that's what it is. I mean, to put it in Martin Luther's terms, you know, uh, that we continue to repent uh, throughout our whole Christian life and the, all of the Christian life is a life of repentance. And, um, you know, but that didn't, that didn't make it any less painful um, to see those errors. And uh, all of those were not my own, but uh, in leadership, you're also bearing a lot of those at the same time, even if they're not yours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, just uh, when I first took this position, uh, I was a year and a half into it. This position involves a lot of travel, a lot of engaging other leaders around the southeast part of the, of the United States. And uh, I got home one night and uh, got taken right into a conversation with my wife. And uh, she threw out the D word. And we had committed not to, not to throw that word out. Uh, so when I heard that word, I know things had gotten to a point that, uh, uh, that I just had to, uh, I had to get on my knees. So I can just envision myself on my knees just pleading with her and with the Lord to help me get some sense of, of uh, what was going on. And it just showed me uh, how uh, susceptible I am to choosing the wrong, the wrong priorities. And I remember Andy Stanley had written a book just at that time called Choosing to Cheat. And the idea that, that I took from that was in this world where we have so much accessibility to people and people to us, uh, that we're not going to be able to get to everyone and do everything that we want. So we have to choose who we're going to cheat, so to speak, with with the time that we give. And uh, and I was choosing to cheat my wife and my family mm. at that particular time. And it had built up to where, uh, to where I was faced with that and had to just say, uh, just repent to the Lord and to her. And, uh, and it wasn't that she was asking too much where the family was, but just uh, I just needed to make some changes right there. And, uh, and that just... Not only did that uh, help keep me in the ministry at that point, having that discussion with her and, and having the Lord help set me straight there, but uh, I think it's helped me to be able to come alongside uh, others as well and to remind them. Uh, so 
I think that definitely was, I came away limping, but hopefully more worthy than ever uh, to be a husband, father, and, uh, and pastor. Uh, Ryan, Can I ask you guys a question? Sure. Because obviously, you know, I'm, I'm the young guy in the room and, or, and young and naive, so want to learn from you guys. In the moment, it's tough to look at these pain points as blessings, but as both of you have been talking, you're looking back at moments of weakness and struggle and pain, and what it seems that you're almost grateful for them. You appreciate the lessons learned in them. Maybe some of our listeners are going through that. Maybe they're they're in the midst of that pain point. They're learning, um, you know, just the hard lessons of life and ministry. How? What counsel would you give somebody who's not at the other side looking back, saying, "Wow, painful but grateful." What lessons? What tips can you give in individuals to walk through that and get the from the moment of this is the most painful thing I want out to appreciating it? How can you help? just bridge that gap with, with our listeners. Andy, anything come to your mind there? Well, I think the first thing is, uh, the a friend of mine shared with me, uh, kind of the opening few chapters of second Corinthians and, uh, you know, the book of second Corinthians is this, uh, pleading of Paul with the Corinthian church to continue to, to follow, uh, the things that he's taught them. Um, but as he opens the the book, uh, he's bearing his soul and the difficulties that he has suffered. Um, and even it just, I was just even thinking of kind of the way he opens the prayer there. And he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So there's like multiple, multiple layers there. I mean, first of all, there's a comfort in those moments that we receive from God. Um, I think sometimes we have to learn to how we receive that comfort. Um, some of us aren't necessarily built that way. Sometimes we reject that comfort from God. Sometimes we feel far away from God. It's hard to see that. But I think first to realize um, that comfort from God. And then I think secondly, there he's saying, listen, I'm doing this. And it's a, there's a, a multi-layered reality to it where that comfort you're going to receive, but now you have the opportunity out of that painfulness to minister to somebody else. Um, because you can say to them, I, I have been there or I understand. Um, I remember coming through some of that um, and still even just processing it and going to a, a pastor's meeting and um, and having put together a talk or a little paper about the dark night of the soul and just the difficulties that I had struggled through and and to be honest, still struggle through at times and in, in thinking back through that time. Um, but then the number of people that came and talked to me afterwards and, and said, man, I, I get it. I understand or I'm in this place. Um, and so I think kind of seeing first the comfort of God, but then being able to see that we are become the instruments by which we can share that comfort with others, um, I think it begins to put those things into perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I remember in an earlier podcast, we had been at, we asked each other a, a, a significant book, a, a book that meant a lot to us. And one of the books that I mentioned was The Principles of Spiritual Growth by Miles Stanford. And in that book that he uh, outlines how we grow spiritually, just some of the principles, 
uh, one of the principles uh, is the principle of need. Of need, he says, God's basic ingredient for growth is need. Needs causes to reach out and appropriate by faith from Him the resources that we require. Um, so again, just facing that, I'm more, I'm, I'm more able to, I'm more, I'm more quickly able to see that my need is a part of the human condition, recognize it, and then more quickly go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me through this. Give me what I need, whichever, however that can come, to be able to help me find some sense of this. He also writes, without a bitter experience of our own inadequacy and our own poverty, uh, we are then quite unfitted to bear the burden of spiritual ministry. Because a part of our what our ministry is is pointing people to the Lord, as you mentioned, Andy, and uh, and being able to help them see through our own experience how He can be, will be, and wants to be there uh, for us. So it's our personal heartbreaking failure, really, in the different phases of our Christian life, that is really the Father's preparation for His ability to bring success uh, uh, to our lives. But it'll be a success that that. Uh, uh, is one that he's looking for us, not one that we're looking for ourselves. Ryan, in the, uh, any follow-up on that? Yeah, well, there's a second question that came to mind with that. It's, I know the other side of our listeners might not be in ministry, but might have friends who are pastors or, or in ministry and, and are observing them going through these difficult times. And maybe just uh, real quick, What's the first thing that comes to your mind that that you would say, this is how not to encourage somebody who is struggling or when you're seeing a minister struggling, don't do this. Maybe, and maybe this is, maybe somebody's tried to encourage you in the wrong way and what, where they thought they were helping, they were actually hurting. Um, and then the opposite question I would also, or the opposite side of that question I would also ask it's what's, uh, what's one positive thing that, that they can do to help, to truly help somebody, a minister who is struggling with a pain point, a limp. Um, to uh, just find encouragement. Hmm. So what not to do and what to do. Andy, I've got a couple thoughts, but how about yourself? Well, I guess one thing that comes to mind is kind of um, one of those things where when somebody's suffering with a difficulty, whether that's be, be an interpersonal difficulty, a sickness, I think at some points they get tired of talking about it. Um, and... Uh, even in leadership, I know at times it's been difficult because when you're going through something, you do need to deal with it. You do need to make sure that your leadership team is together. You you do need to process through those things. But then I think there's at some point you have to put it away. And uh, I think for me, one of the things not to do is to continue to bring those things up or to continue to rehearse the difficulties once you've processed through, especially with your team and, and you've processed through it well. Um, I don't mean to just kind of ignore it because I've I've done that at times too. But after you've processed it through, well, for me, I, I need to need to put it away. Um, and so I would say that's one thing I would encourage people um, to to be be honest, deal with it, deal with it with your leadership, and then also be willing to put it away. Yeah, the first bit of advice that comes to my mind with that question is what I hear from my wife all the time. And I'm sure you have too. Is uh, don't don't fix it. Don't just run right in to fix it before you even know what the real issue is. I think uh, 
part of a, a gift of hospitality that we can give to others. And that is just, is just giving them, uh, giving them space, giving them time within our space to be able to uh, just to speak about it and just to sit with them in the struggle, uh, not to be afraid to let that struggle breathe and, and, and really find the depth and breadth of what's really uh, what's really happening here and what, what's taking place uh, rather than just a, a quick run in and a run out. And, and I know uh, uh, when I'm picking up a phone call, phone call, I'm going into a, into a meeting, a challenge. Uh, what advice can I give? Just again, just acknowledging that the wisdom that you want to bring isn't going to come from you. It's going to come from, from the spirit. It's going to come from his word. And, uh, and again, let that kind of sit with that and acknowledge that uh, before you start speaking and uh, just trusting that, that God will give you what you need at that time to be able to respond. And that, that same spirit and that same word will be uh, what's truly going to be impactful for that person that you're working with. And just let the spirit work. Um, I don't have to. Uh, I, I'm just an interme- intermediary. Um, and that's why, again, I say not be not to go quickly in with Glenn, but to uh, uh, to let it breathe and, and to allow space for the Lord to work. Men, we could go on and on with this. And I'm sure in the podcast to follow uh, a number of uh, of other situations will come to mind that we'll be able to speak uh around this topic again. So thanks for uh, your engagement today. Thanks for listening. Uh, Please come back. And uh, for now, we'll sign off and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Comparing Notes podcast. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so by emailing us at comparingnotes at gmail.com.